Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, and welcome to episode 58 of the Squeaky Careers podcast. If this is your first time listening, thanks for giving us a go. I know it's always a nerve-wracking time when you try a new podcast, uh, but we're very grateful, so stick with us um, and hopefully you'll find it really helpful. Um, I'm Sarah and I'm joined by Helen. Hello, I'm still smiling about listening to a new podcast being (laughs) (laughs) nerve-wracking. And together we're the two founders of Amazing If. I think it is nerve-wracking because I sort of now have a real routine with my podcasts and you know when you know you're going to enjoy it so you look forward to it so if you're listening for the first time you might you're probably thinking well I don't know is this going to be any good is it going to be useful is it going to be a bit rubbish like maybe curious or just intriguing yeah Yeah, it's probably not a very growth mindset is it which we're going to talk about quite a lot today Um, and so each week with our podcast we tackle a different topic which we really hope helps everyone who listens and to be honest we help ourselves at the same time Uh, Make the most of all the opportunities and choices that come your way in a squiggly career. Um, And we also hope it helps you to avoid some of the pitfalls. um, Don't make some of the mistakes that we've made along (laughs) the way. Uh, And today, one of the things that we're going to be talking about is um, being a growth mindset manager. Um, And if this is the first time listening, um, you'll see there's quite a few episodes on different uh, ways and different kind of slants, I guess, on growth mindset, because we feel like it's uh, such an important kind of topic and area, real foundation for everybody's learning. And what we really hope about the growth mindset manager uh, topic today is that it's relevant for you in one of three ways, hopefully maybe more than one of these ways. But firstly, if you're a manager now, um, hopefully this will help you to be the best manager you can possibly be. Secondly, if you'd like to manage people in the future, we think you can start developing these skills straight away. Um, Hopefully they make you more likely to be a manager even sooner. And then when you do get into those positions, you'll be brilliant and everyone will want to come work for you (laughs) and you'll attract all the best people. And I think that's true. Uh, There's people I know who I think are brilliant managers. And it's no surprise that somehow they seem to also have these incredible teams and everyone wants to go and work for them. They really are. Um, And you know what? You might not want to manage people. Um, I think sometimes people feel like they have to apologise for that, but I don't think it's for everyone. But what we do think is that you'll want to go and work for those people. You'll want to be able to spot who are these growth mindset managers. Um, And once you spot them, you can kind of, you know, follow them around and go and try and work in their teams. And the kind of scary stat, um, if you are a manager today, I always think this is uh, slightly terrifying, is that 70% of colleague engagement, so how much people are kind of enjoying what they're doing, is influenced by who you work for. Um, And actually, if you think about this 
practically, you know, when you go home in an evening, um, what is it you often complain about or what is it that you often chat about um, if you're kind of really happy? It's, you know, it is your boss, it is the person that you're working for. They can make your life brilliant and your squiggly career you know all, all of the good things that we want you know full of interesting choices kind of opportunities or they can be the person the way you go you know it's been a really difficult day or I'm finding this really hard and often it is something to do with the relationship with who you're working for so uh, no pressure but <laughs> essentially 70% of somebody's uh, you know enjoyment can, can come from who they work for. I think as well management is to that point I always think of it as management is a responsibility it's not just a role yeah. I think a lot of people just treat it as uh, it's like a stage of development in a company that you just become a manager and that's just it but I think that knowing that you have that level of impact on somebody's life you know for Sarah and I some of the actually great managers and the bad managers we'll probably talk about for the rest of our lives we certainly will on this podcast and they have a lifelong impact on you um and that's why I think you know don't don't treat management lightly it's such it is a real responsibility the impact that you can have on somebody I'm just wondering now whether any of those managers um would have been different or acted differently if they'd have known that years later we were going to be talking about them on a podcast (laughs) (laughs) wonder. <laughs> um, okay, well, moving on from that point. Um, so maybe if I talk a little bit about growth mindset manager and what it, what it is, because I think it's a lovely term and we do like the term, but I think it's also just good to get your head around what it is. And we're going to really dive into some of the specific traits that show up for growth mindset managers. Um, and who better, who better to, to go to to give us some information about what a growth mindset manager is than Carol Dweck. Um, Carol Dweck is the person who um, was really behind the popularization of the term growth mindset she wrote a book uh, back in 2006 I think called mindset she has a very popular TED talk as well on the topic um, and in some articles that she wrote sort of later on because actually a lot of her early work was about growth mindset in children actually rather than about it being for organizations so in some of her later work she kind of got to talking about um, growth mindset in managers and why that was an important thing And what she says is that um, growth mindset managers are more committed to their employees' development and to their own. So it's about them and their employees. They have a great deal more developmental coaching and they give that to other people. They notice improvements in employees' performance and they welcome critique from their employees. So I really like um, her description of what a growth mindset manager is, because when I I guess when I when I when I read it, it's very two way. It's about um, getting coaching, giving coaching. It's about uh, noticing improvement and asking for feedback that can help them improve as well. I really like that two way thing that's their work in progress and they're helping the people that work for them be work in progress, too. Yeah, I guess it links quite closely, doesn't it, to a lot of the work. Uh, that Brenny Brown has done on vulnerability. Mm. Um, And you could probably draw some sort of very complicated Venn diagram of how (laughs) these different things of management and leadership all come together. Because often people have uh, gone quite deep into one particular area like growth mindset or vulnerability. But you you can really start to connect the dots when you start to read and learn about these different areas. And there, what Carol Dweck is talking about is, you know, having vulnerability as a manager, not thinking that just because you're now in a manager position you somehow need to show that you're perfect and brilliant at everything. And I think sometimes that can be a real risk when, particularly when you're first managing, because people almost do take it seriously and they think, all oh, these people are going to be looking up to me now, so it feels like I should know all of the answers. Yeah. And actually it takes quite a lot of confidence to admit that 
maybe you don't. So that whole, and you know, you, you, you can also read quite a lot about, you know, just, just fake it, fake it until you make it. Um, and actually, I'm not sure that's true anymore of the best managers. I think the best managers um, are clear about where they're adding value, but also understand that that doesn't mean that they need to kind of show this really perfect front to the people they work with and the people who work for them. Yeah, I totally agree. I think probably it's also useful to um, think about what, what's the what's the opposite of this uh, growth ma- mindset manager who's uh, work in progress and kind of uh, accepting that they can be vulnerable and, and be successful. And so if we think about a fixed mindset manager, as well as the kind of opposite of some of the things we talked about, so they're less likely to give feedback or coach and they're less likely to ask for feedback and try and improve their own skills. I think what's really interesting about um, a fixed mindset manager is that there, in terms of how it affects everything from like how they the, how they hire people so they will hire people for um the skills that they've got so whereas a growth mindset manager might hire someone for the capacity to learn and develop and grow them a fixed mindset manager is more likely to try and fit people like puzzle pieces together and it's about the skills that they've got today so hire the right people who sometimes can be um, like them because they think that they are in the right. So everybody who's like them is in the right. So they might try <laughs> and hire people more in a shadow like themselves who've got the exact skills that they need. And they also then don't try and coach and develop them because, you know, if you've not got the right skills today, that's all that's all I want from you. They don't believe that you can grow, develop um, and, um, and kind of learn and improve. That's not what they're about. So I just think it's interesting that that can then have a knock-on impact on that quality of the team. So it's not just about the individual and a fixed mindset manager who's not um, coaching developing individuals who's hiring people like them for the skills that they've got today but not building them for tomorrow um, that then affects the whole dynamic of the team and if I think about if I'm in an HR team and I'm thinking about who are the managers that I want to put into role or I want to hire into that business I think fix, hiring fixed mindset managers is actually a really really dangerous game to play because of that um, that kind of ripple effect it has on the teams that they manage. Yeah and I do think there is an important point though for for everybody where when we think about growth and fixed mindset and it's and and the point is that people do tend to move in and out of both states so actually when I reflect on my style as a manager of course you like to think of yourself as a growth mindset manager and you you're kind of ticking all of those boxes but even as you were talking then even right here right now I can still think of examples of where I'm more fixed mindset in my style or my approach often and you know these are things happen for really good reasons but this is not this is not an easy thing and it's not a black and white thing it's a nuanced thing of how can I always think the question is how can you make yourself a growth mindset manager for as much of your time and of your day and as your week as possible and how can you recognize where you are more fixed because just by recognizing it I then think you're way more likely to do something about it so what I wouldn't want people to do is think that people fall into just one or the other category albeit there definitely are people who you can kind of see fit slightly more in one than the other. And the other um, the other thing I was thinking when you're talking about hiring there is, um, you know, there's often that that uh, almost like quote, I think Steve Jobs uh, talks about it and, and it's quite popular in like leadership stuff around, oh, you should hire people who are better than you. Yeah. I guess if you were a fixed mindset manager, you would find that quite threatening mm. um, because actually you would sort of think, well, I need to kind of protect how smart I am and I don't want someone else to kind of make me look bad. Whereas if you're a growth mindset manager, you would just see all the upsides of that. And so one of the things I have actually noticed in quite a few of the people I've worked for and who have been brilliant is they talk about, 
oh, I just want to hire people who are better than me or or different to me is usually kind of what they mean, but they're kind of being nice and humble. But I think that's a good sign of uh, somebody who's kind of naturally a bit more growth mindset. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. And I think when we go through the four areas that we think are really strong traits for you to develop to become um, a growth mindset manager, it might be that some of those are more comfortable to you than others. Um, and I think mm. maybe the ones that don't feel that comfortable, you think, oh, I've got a bit of development to do there at the moment. Maybe that's ones where you're leaning a little bit more towards fixed at the moment. Again, as Sarah said, there's nothing particularly wrong with it. I mean, being aware of it is super powerful. Um, but yeah, as we go through these these four, just reflect on well, which, where do I feel today? Am I a bit more growthy in that area and I'm a bit more fixed in the others? So those those four areas there, and we're going to talk through each one, share our experiences of it and give you some kind of tips and resources for each of them. The four areas that we think are fundamentally important to becoming a growth mindset manager are that growth mindset managers, um, they develop psychological safety in their teams. They create a culture of feedback. They approach developmental conversations at work as a coach and they embed learning in the team as I said we're going to take each one of those because there's so much there's so much research there's so much behind each one so we're trying to tackle it as neatly as possible in the time we've got with you on the podcast but I think as we're talking them through just kind of I guess reflect for yourself on that one feels fine and I, I find, I'm going to find that easy to kind of get better at or, oh, do you know what? I'm starting from a slightly different place on this one. And maybe as we go through, Helen, we should actually share, uh, you know, which, at the end, maybe we should go through the four and then we should share the one that we would both feel most confident in yeah. in terms of maybe having a natural tendency or a natural talent to, to be good at and the one that would that kind of makes us the most nervous or where yes. we could probably spot opportunities yeah. um so there you I go like we've it. not we've not prepared that beforehand so <laughs> <laughs> we, we'll be thinking about that as we go through we're embedding learning in our little team as we go we are obviously. always always work always work in progress so let's start with psychological safety um yeah. which i think sounds really grand and um quite complicated but essentially all psychological safety means is creating an environment for your team where there's lots of trust so really high trust environment and where people are able to make mistakes um and actually that second bit if you think about it you know how many teams have you been in where it's okay to make a mistake um often it's not something that we feel naturally that comfortable with as individuals and so actually as a manager you have to work quite hard to get people to feel comfortable with making a mistake. Um, and actually, there's a guy called uh, Jules Goddard, who is um, a lecturer at London Business School. And one of the things that he says you should ask as a manager, you should be asking your team as a manager every single week or every month is, um, how many mistakes did you make this month and what did you learn? And if people are saying none or hardly any, then actually that's not a good thing because mm. you're not you're not progressing, um, which I, I always found that a really fascinating kind of different way of thinking about the sorts of questions you should be asking. And, you know, are you creating an environment where people can, you know, learn quickly and, and you know, not everything is right every time? Um, and the lady who's done the majority of the research in this is called um, Amy Edmondson, um, and she's at Harvard. And she basically talks about um, the leaders who do this really well are inclusive, they're humble, and they encourage the people that work for them to speak up or to ask for ask for help, which again links back to that point around vulnerability. Um, because actually when you create an environment where all these things happen, actually people feel more able, I think, to take accountability. And then 
you know, you feel like actually I can t- I can take accountability, but also I feel okay that if this doesn't go wrong, I guess it's that classic thing of uh, does my boss have my back? Yeah, and 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 actually that's a that's an interesting reflection because I've definitely worked with some people where I've thought. Do you know what they they would maybe challenge me if something hadn't gone to plan but I know that they would do it in the spirit of wanting me to get better wanting us to learn as a team but I know that then publicly they would always back me yeah. you know that, that, that they're prepared to do that because that's also quite brave on their behalf and they would go no we think that's it's a good thing that we tried that out and okay it didn't work but that's okay because it was a calculated risk this is what we learned we're going to move on whereas some people don't feel maybe they're in a culture that they don't feel able to do that or actually just as individuals they don't feel confident enough to do that I was actually um I was thinking about some examples that I could give to uh, just bring it to life and the I had an immediate one which was back at um back at Eon and I was thinking oh, I've actually have I had have I had another one because I think this is quite difficult to do to create psychological safety um and I you when you said has your manager got my your back that really makes me think of the manager I had when I was at Microsoft um uh, a guy called Scott Allen and he was so supportive he always had your back not just my back right. actually as well so it wasn't I think this is an important point it's not just about somebody that they like or a favorite yeah. Scott had everybody's back he and I used to call it like he would go into bat for somebody. So yeah. he, in, if there was a room or a debate of, I don't know, an end of year performance review and he thought that somebody should get a certain result, he would um, he would argue that point um, uh, and potentially in a way that might kind of affect what people thought of him. But he was he had your, your back so strongly that he would go into bat for you um, and um, he was always he would always uh, listen that he was never, he was never, there was never blame. And I think, yeah, it just made me think of um, it slightly differently as when, when you kind of think, does it, has someone got your back? And it feels so good. You know, when you, when you have that, when I had it at Eon and I had it at Microsoft and I really haven't had it that many more times, um, you feel trusted. I think you feel like it's so you kind of want to try different things. Like you feel, freedom's one of my values. And in those environments, I feel more free to try new things to ask for different things to experiment and I think from my perspective that means an organization gets way more out of me because I'm kind of bringing new and different ideas in that I know um people are going to be receptive about and do you know what if it if it doesn't work it doesn't matter and I back at Eon I had that manager who was based, we had to try these launch six to eight different products and services a year and that he expected some of them to fail and almost said do you know what if you're if you're not failing with them you're kind of not trying hard enough because we want to be you're yeah. doing some stuff different and that creates you so much space when someone's sort of saying do you know what if you're not failing you're not doing it hard enough it wasn't it's not hard work just kind of not thinking um about how things could be different enough um yeah I feel it feels really really good when you're in those roles where people have your back and you have that trust and safety and I always think it's useful to think about uh what are the outcomes so if you've created an environment where there's high trust and people can make mistakes what are the things that you would expect to happen um and so as Helen's just kind of described one is that you would trust your manager to represent you fairly and kind of accurately um another might be one of the things that i was thinking about uh i would always want people to come talk to me if they weren't happy yeah if they weren't happy in their job if they were thinking about leaving um if they wanted to do something different or if they were just a bit unsure about something that they felt that they trusted you enough to have that conversation and that, that wouldn't feel like a or couldn't possibly have that conversation with the person i work for because 
they might think differently about me the next day. Um, and I think is one of the my observations is that sometimes the teams that do this the best is where they're set up almost like the function is set up to do this so you just described an innovation team which is all about testing and learning mm. and the time that I've experienced it the most is when um, I set up a group of volunteers to put on a load of events for charity and from day one that group of volunteers we all kind of recognized that we were like learning as we were going and so because we sort of had that mentality we all really trusted each other. We got to know each other really well. You know, we were spending lots of time with each other kind of outside of work because um, we were very passionate about kind of making this stuff happen. But there was this realisation of we're all doing this for the first time. None of us really know what we're doing. We're making it up. We've got lots of freedom, which is almost why we're doing this in addition to our day jobs to kind of test our skills and our behaviours in a different context. But inevitably, some things just won't go to plan. And actually, again, it was because almost that environment environment was very conducive to psychological safety that then it perpetuates all the kind of right behaviours. So I, I imagine, I'm trying to think, I would think this is probably particularly hard if you're trying to go from an environment where the opposite is true and you're trying to lead it or manage it into an environment where this happens. And I, I suspect... This is something that takes time. If I'm just thinking about my own oh, yeah, roles as so. different managers, you can't, you can't. Is that you can't just say I'm a doctor, trust me, type of thing, can you? It's like yeah. you, earn, you have yeah. to earn yeah, that's trust. True. You have to build a climate where people feel safe. You don't just come in and go. Everyone trust me with everything you want to say. It's not going to go anywhere. Wink, wink. I think yeah, people. That definitely does build over time. And so just three ideas on how you can start to develop this skill, which we're going to kind of summarise quite quickly. And then, as Helen said, there's going to be loads of resources this week because there's lots of really useful things that can help you. Actually, particularly on this one, people have done some really good resources like um, Google and Rework, and we'll make sure we post those. But three things that you could start to think about. One, how can you get to know each other as a team? I think to have high trust, to let people make mistakes, you've got to know each other and you've got to be spending time with each other in a kind of quality way and that does mean you know maybe making time outside of the day jobs it does mean prioritizing time together trying to make sure that you know lots about people not just kind of their the work slice of their life um and we talked the other week about you know bringing your whole self to work and if this is one that's particularly interesting to you that might be one other podcast to kind of have a listen to and then a second way to start developing this is think about that point about being vulnerable so uh, we talked at the start about this being a two-way street and I think anything that you're, any behaviours that you're expecting of other people, you have to be role modelling that for yourself. Um, and, you know, the shadow that you cast as a manager uh, in a role is is way bigger. You know, every every small action that you take, I can guarantee you this, will be watched and analysed and people read things into things that often it amazes me where people go, oh, this happened, does, does that mean this thing's happening? And you think, no. <laughs> But, you know, it's because you have a real impact. Your your impact as a manager on um, people's, uh, you know, on, on teams' effectiveness, on people's kind of day-to-day life shouldn't be underestimated, which is probably why you get to that 70% figure. So if you're going to expect other people to be vulnerable and share things, then you need to make sure you're doing that for yourself. And then the third thing is more of a kind of sentiment, which is, um, you know, ask for forgiveness, not for permission. And... That is a real, I guess, rallying cry for trying things out. It's okay to make mistakes. And I think working out within your environment, um, 
you know, how can you make those mistakes in a way that feels safe? And because, of course, there are always, you know, you'll be listening to this and going, well, there are some mistakes actually we can't afford to make because commercially that would be a really big risk or it just, it, you know, it wouldn't be appropriate or acceptable, at the, you know, in, in where I work or... And so I think you do have to kind of work through this to go, how do we collectively work out how far we can go together? And then how do we put in some kind of fail safes to help us to make sure that we make mistakes, but in a kind of manageable way, I think. Because I, I think if I'm being really realistic about making mistakes, I think it's probably like manageable mistakes, if that makes sense. There was something as well on this that um, really stuck with me from a Brené Brown, I think like video or something that I watched. And it's also in her Dare to Lead book, which is about this um, this idea of trust. And so you could create a, you could you might think as a manager that you're creating a circle of trust, if you like, with your team, because you, um, they come to you and they tell you, they tell you private things. And then maybe when you're in conversation with somebody else, you're relaying some of that stuff. So let's say I was talking to Sarah and I was saying, oh, you know, this person over here told me this today. Now that's going to make Sarah think that I, I, I might think I'm telling Sarah that because it's kind of like a trust relationship, but to Sarah, she yeah. will see that I'm not keeping somebody else's trust, if that makes sense. So just be very aware that you don't build trust by sort of sharing other people's secrets. And I think it's the same in that example that Sarah was just talking about there, about the um, the seeking forgiveness thing. Blame is very, very toxic to creating um, psychological safety. And just because you create an environment where there's no blame going on in your immediate team, if you start going, well, we're perfect, yeah, yeah. Um, and actually it's about <laughs> that team over there, that's still that's still blame. You might think, okay, well, I've got my little trust circle going on in my little perfect team, so therefore we can point the finger at somebody else. That still does not, like, that's still, you're, you're still blaming somebody else or you're still breaking somebody else's confidence. Um, and so it, it undermines your ability to create psychological safety if you're not um, reducing blame on all fronts and if you're not really keeping trust on all fronts as well. So we started off with a relatively tough one, I think. I think that is, that is probably one of the toughest of the four. Um, should we talk about feedback, which I'm not sure is actually any any easier, to be yeah, honest. Yes. I know, I know. Well, these things are all challenging. Um, so yeah, the second trait that we think is really important for a growth mindset manager is to develop a culture of feedback in a team. And the reason this is really important is because um, there's a lot of research which shows that honest feedback timely feedback candid feedback when it is given in a supportive way and I think that's a really important point um, but then it can actually create higher levels of performance and also higher levels of employee resilience you essentially build team members muscles to grow and develop when you give them that feedback however if you're not that skilled in doing it or you don't pay it enough attention maybe you deliver it a bit bluntly maybe it's a bit harsh maybe you don't think about it enough that can actually do the opposite it can destroy motivation in your team and it can destroy engagement so this is a it's very needed it's quite hard to do and I'm not sure lots of people do it well if I'm honest from my kind of experience that I have seen and also there's um something that we have to take uh, ownership for as well which is that our, our brains actually don't really like feedback so when I was looking into this there's a whole lot of neuroscience that says that our brains are sort of wired to keep us safe they are wired to make us think that we are right and so that there is like a natural resistance in our brains to 
to feedback, which can make us a bit defensive about it. There's a a really interesting guy called Daniel Goldman. He's a psychologist. um, And he says, there's a quote I quite like, it says, threats to our standing in the eyes of others are potent biologically, almost as those to our very survival. So this idea that someone's giving you feedback um, is, is sometimes can be seen as a threat. And that's what makes us defensive, which I think sometimes is why it feels really challenging. This is definitely one area that I can go into fixed mindset on. I, I, I really have to stop myself feeling defensive about feedback sometimes. And the other thing, um, is that's kind of why it feels difficult to receive it. If you also feel a little bit uncomfortable, if you're giving feedback to somebody else, um, the research also shows that if you go into a feedback conversation and you feel uncomfortable about it from the outset, that sort of puts your brain into more of a, um, a kind of a fear and a judgment perspective, which means that the way that you deliver the feedback can sometimes come across as a bit blamey, a bit accusatory, a bit well, I don't think you did it very well, which then just creates like doubles the whole defensive reaction. So you get this, we're not actually very good at uh, receiving it. And if you don't like doing it, you can approach it not for a great start starting point, which when you get into that, you're like, oh, that's why it feels rubbish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it's like the perfect it's so storm. Um, so uh, let's share some of our examples. Of, we'll do two. Let's do a when it's not felt great and then we'll uh, we'll pick it up a little bit with us maybe a good example Sarah I'm gonna I'm gonna get you to do the the the, the yeah you can go with the bad the bad feedback oh thanks thanks this is Paige the co-host of Giggly Squad and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box and if you break it down it really comes out to two dollars a manicure which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I, I think feedback is, is incredibly difficult. And actually, I wouldn't say I've worked in any environment in 17 years where um, I've gone, wow, this feedback culture is brilliant and helping everyone get better and work and working really well so that and I think you know and I've worked in some places that take development very seriously but you know this is a hard thing I think for people to get right 
for all those reasons Helen just talked about. So I would say I've experienced two things that have not been quite so good. One is just getting no feedback. And actually, um, that can be really frustrating. And when I say no feedback, it's just where people are kind of very either generic. So just like, oh, yeah, you're doing a great job. And you sort of think, okay, but there's got to there's got to be more to it than that. You know, I can't or, you know, what is it that's great? And there must be some things that you think I could do better or that you'd like me to focus on. Where could I improve? And it, and, and people are just, you know, it's just there just isn't that kind of culture of giving the spirit of giving people um, feedback to help them know where they're having the most impact and where they can improve. So almost this void of going, well, I, you know, you hope you're self-aware enough to know what's working and what's not, but you do need to know whether your intent has landed. And the only way you know that is by kind of getting feedback, asking for feedback. Um, And of course, there's also accountability there to kind of go, well, even if you're not getting any feedback, can you ask for it? But again, I have experienced some instances where I have at least tried to ask. And again, you can see that people feel very uncomfortable giving it. And so you that never feels great for me because I'm like, oh, I don't like the idea that making people feel uncomfortable. And then you just sort of shy away from it and get a bit like, oh, I'm not sure what to do now. Um, so that's kind of definitely happened. And then I think the point, the second point you made around, um, I've, I've definitely had feedback given to me where it's been delivered in a way that isn't that isn't very good um and so because it's been delivered so badly it's made me feel really awful you know really like really bad Uh, and actually at times sometimes quite upset but actually when I've stopped and been able to kind of take myself away from the way it was delivered and just look at the content of what that person was I think trying to say so usually I think there is something good and helpful in people's feedback however it's delivered but it takes quite a lot of confidence and sometimes resilience to see through the way it can be delivered and to have that knowledge of people are not naturally often brilliant at this um, and almost forgiving them that and going but actually I'm going to take the useful bits from it so that's kind of a couple of experiences I've had where I've gone this either where I've had nothing and when I've probed for it not really got anything of substance and that that can feel frustrating or where I have had it and it's been delivered in in such a way that it's very hard to move out of defensive mode and to actually move into kind of action and not just to get into kind of that blame thing of well because they've delivered it you almost in a bad way you automatically assume it's not valid. I think personally I I wouldn't say I'm, I think I'm getting better at feedback. It's one of the things that I have, like, in particularly my last role, I really tried to um, improve upon because I kind of got to this point where I was thinking, you're making this much more about you than the other person. So how you feel about giving this and it's making you feel awkward. Hmm. And something clicked. I don't know what it was where I was like, you are actually, weirdly, you're holding this person back by not giving them the feedback. And the more you waffle around it or avoid giving it to them you know like <laughs> yeah. I'd be like oh well you know you're really good at here and there's maybe this thing and I understand I give like loads of and actually what I really need to say it was just quite cleanly um and specific um and just leave some space for the other person to think and question and the more I did that and thought actually don't make this about how awkward you're feeling but make it you know, make it a really clear message that you can give to somebody else the positive and the, the kind of more developmental feedback as positive feedback is very important, as we'll come on to, 
Um, but the more I did that, the more I had a better conversation with people and the more they kept feeding back to me that they really valued my feedback. And I was like, oh, I've been doing this. I've been just getting really caught up in how I feel about giving someone feedback and how bad it makes me feel. Um, and actually, as soon as I <laughs> yeah. framed it to it's about them and helping them to grow and develop and you're holding them back by not sorting yourself out, Helen. Um, I suddenly, yeah, it suddenly changed how I did it quite a lot. And as well as that, I think some examples of when I have had good feedback, well, Sarah gives very good feedback. She's very um, specific and very timely. Um, and I think that is what I really value. And maybe we all value slightly different things in feedback, but that's one for me that is particularly pertinent. The more specific someone can be and the more the kind of closer to it, to the moment, the better. And um, when I was in Virgin Red, um, I had a manager there that was just, he would just tell me in the moment, he was like a mirror to my behaviour sometimes. I remember um, I remember when I got back from maternity leave and I I kept saying sorry and I wasn't aware of it, but I felt in my mind, I think I felt like I was juggling so much. I was trying to um, get home for my, my little boy, Henry. I was trying to do amazing if stuff. I, I was trying to do this compressed hours thing as well as scale this business at a virgin. And I just felt like I wasn't, in control of it as much as I wanted to be and my manager said I've never heard you say sorry as much as you're saying you know what's going on um and he was just like a mirror to my behavior and he told me in the moment he didn't wait until some you know review in six or 12 months time and that kind of um specific well-intentioned it was about making me better it was about having a conversation about it not about you know a little barbed comment and um, was really really helpful so I think if you can do that for other people as well give them specific well-intentioned feedback that is timely you are going a huge way towards um being um a, you know a growth mindset manager in terms of how you give feedback yeah and one of the stories that you told me Helen that it's really stuck with me I don't, I don't even know if you'll you'll realize this but I remember when you were quite early into Microsoft I think you were working on a presentation and you commented to me how everybody was giving you know everyone kind of piles in with lots of kind of feedback and that was clearly the culture but it was very much done in the spirit of we are giving you this feedback because we want the outcome to be the best it can possibly yeah. be and I was and I I've just found that really useful framing because I think if you're thinking about um if you're asking feedback or giving feedback and it's all in the spirit of helping you know the outcomes and the outputs to be brilliant and of course you still want it to be delivered in a useful way that I don't know that somehow helped me with feedback that might be tougher to hear but if someone went well this is because I want you to be brilliant in your job and I think this might be stopping you being that extra bit brilliant I'd probably be more you know you can imagine at that time being slightly more receptive or it might just help with the framing so I remember really liking that um I actually just triggered me when you were talking about that that particular environment was about it was a big quarterly presentation and now and now one way in which that went even further in terms of creating a culture of feedback was when we were delivering that presentation so it was like a UK team to a U US team we had what was termed in Microsoft a back channel going on <laughs> like a big right. secret really and um, well it's basically all the UK team were on a Skype conversation at the same time as we were presenting so if I was talking about my slides for example somebody in the team would be kind of saying you know that was a really great comment or um, almost preempting a question I think that person's going to ask this question next um you know try to do this or uh, okay and it was almost like like I mean it was live feedback 
feedback on the call. And so it kind of, it sort of made it almost more exciting in some ways because it made it much bigger. Quite, than I was going to say, was. Like, that's really hard though to like listen. It was if hard. Listen, but it was, I don't know if you could listen, present and do feedback simultaneously. It was, it was really hard. I mean, they were all very skilled at it. I only actually did that particular meeting once. Um, and But it felt, it felt really supportive and it felt that you got feedback and it, it just made it it just made asking for feedback a lot easier because it was just constant as part of that particular event. Everyone was giving it to the constantly, as you say, for the kind of better betterment of the team, the betterment of the outcome. So let me just summarise then a couple of ways specifically that you can develop um, kind of a, a feedback skill. So the first is um, deliver it frequently and timely. We've talked about that. The second is to deliver much more, much more positive than negative feedback. Our brains anchor to that negative feedback and you need to... It's three times, isn't it, yeah. I think, you apparently. Yeah. You need to do three times more positive than negative. I think it negative. might be more, Sarah. I'll find the research and I'll put it on. Uh, okay. I think it might be more. We'll find it. It's, 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 definitely, it's definitely at least three times. So, you, yeah, we will find it. But, yeah, make sure you're giving more positive than, um, than kind of developmental feedback because you have to kind of counteract it and it helps people to learn and grow in that way even if it feels like don't give them false feedback like that was really nice and you had good good you know good pace when you're predicting <laughs> but ultimately this wasn't very good like you know be genuine but just be aware that every time you give someone kind of improvement based feedback you do need to think about the ratio overall of the feedback that you're giving it doesn't mm. have to be in the same in the same moment um, and I just think the thing I don't see very often which I would love to see more for more people do and this thing I think I do do really well is it's okay to just give positive feedback mm. I think there's this thing about oh I always need to balance positive feedback with something to improve not not always there could just be something really specific that someone has done brilliantly and you want them to keep doing it and do do it more just say that yeah, and just, that's fine yeah, just say it. you don't need it at the same time I found the research Sarah so we can answer the question now high performing organisations deliver roughly five times as many positive oh, statements go. that are supportive appreciative encouraging to every one negative statement which is critical disapproving or contradictory so there you go, that's there that you go. Um, and the last tip on um, uh, in terms of developing a culture of feedback is to ask 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 for it so you can be the change here you don't need to wait for feedback to there's a culture to change around you the more that you can ask other people how did you think I did in that meeting what's one thing that you think I could do better um what when did you see me at my best the more you can ask all of these different questions um and be receptive and say thank you for the feedback you're getting the more other people it's it kind of it's very much linked with that um culture of psychological safety as well the more people feel safe giving and getting feedback to and in terms of resources for feedback um there are quite a few different feedback frameworks that you can try and use and um, I just mentioned a few very quick questions there but we'll we'll add a link which has got four different feedback frameworks which might be something for you to look at and try out in your teams and then the third one that we think is really important and increasingly I think this is a skill set that actually people are really looking for and recruiting in with managers is the ability to coach and I think sometimes because some people are professional coaches this is felt like oh you know this is something where I need to get training in or I need to um you know go off and do lots of reading I actually think at its simplest coaching is about two things asking brilliant questions and active listening and and often when we reflect on our own manager man, managerial kind of style or when you look at the managers that you work for you can see the managers that are you know those managers that always ask that really poignant question that you always think why didn't I think of that? That's such a such a useful that's such a useful question. And rather than seeing that question as like that's annoying, I should have thought of that for myself. Just seeing that as 
That's brilliant. That's a really useful question. And those managers that give you the time and space that clearly do really listen to what you've got to say and they're not just thinking about, you know, the next meeting or, you know, the next presentation they've got to do. And that's not... um that's easier said than done you know I every day I sort of find that um you know I'm someone who gives people quite a lot of time I think I'm a good listener but then often it makes me late (laughs) and I'm not very good at giving myself enough time to listen properly uh and almost equally so I can be like brilliant in in one meeting because I've listened I've asked really great questions but by doing that I've maybe met the meetings run over by 10 15 minutes and then it's probably a horrendous experience for the next person because then you become quite transactional yeah do you remember that listening exercise that we both did where yeah um, it was basically a group exercise and someone was um noting down how many times that you interrupted in a group situation and even and the different types of interruptions so I guess everyone will think certain interruptions are almost a bit rude like where you're cutting somebody off and um, but you might not notice some of the other interruptions that you're making where I mean I have one where I'm, I'm I'm like the adding value interrupter where I'm like oh I've got a good idea have you done this um and it is it's kind of the opposite of being a good listener and so I think sometimes just thinking about how many times that you are uh, interrupting other people that is not that's not a great coaching you know if coaching is about active listening the more you interrupt people from whatever for whatever reason you're doing it is that's going against one of the the kind of the strongest parts of being a great coach and I'm uh, like an enthusiastic interrupter I think it was called so um <laughs> I suppose I want people to feel like I support them and so sometimes I would interrupt in the spirit of going oh that's brilliant or like yeah we can do this and and just showing people that you're kind of there for them but I think one of the purposes of that exercise when we both did it is showing that um if you interrupt people mid-thought you're actually it's very hard then for people to re-pick up that train of thought and finish it off in the same way as they would have done and so you're essentially not letting somebody like finish their point of view or finish what they've got to say and it's um it's really hard you like try and do it in a meeting this this week where just try and be aware of how many times you interrupt and uh, or be aware of how many times other people interrupt often it comes from a a positive intention but just you, you know you will know for yourself that when somebody stops you talking you just then you kind of maybe go off in a different direction or you get distracted so that privilege of being kind of allowed to finish what you're thinking and saying is actually quite unusual and so a few ideas on how you can start thinking about what it takes to be a great manager um, who coaches and has a kind of coaching style firstly is about remembering it's all about the other people and it's not about you and there's ways to work out whether things are about you or not so if you're having a one-to-one with somebody in your team how much time do you spend talking versus listening and you know inevitably the the high proportion of your time should be listening rather than talking and if I reflect on that I definitely don't always get that right um you know make sure that you're supporting and not solving so this is a real kind of classic thing especially if you've done some of the roles of some of the people in your team you know where you sort of go well I've got the answer to this and you think you're being helpful but we all know that you learn lots more where you kind of solve things for yourself so think of yourself in a supportive capacity rather than a I'm here to solve their problems for them And finally, um, there's a couple of really good coaching uh, tools that everybody can use. You know, you don't need to be a qualified coach to use them. One is GROW, which um, stands for Goal, Reality, 
options and way forward, which is just a way of structuring coaching conversations. And we'll um, post the link about how that works. And another one, which is very much about kind of active listening, is something called um, Time to Think, which is by a lady called Nancy Klein. And her overall premise is that the quality of your attention equals the quality of somebody else's thinking. And that really goes back to that listening exercise that we talked about. So um, our last one, then the fourth trait that we think is really important is that growth mindset managers embed learning as just a way of working within their teams. And this is important because um, the majority, the vast majority of people's learning comes outside of the like learning and development department. You know, most of it is happening on the job. And so managers that can create opportunities for people to reflect and learn actually improve um, employee engagement. That's what the research shows. They uh, lower turnover. They get higher levels of um, satisfaction in their teams. They also encourage problem solving amongst their employees and their teams. So they come up with better solutions and they come up with um, increased employee retention as well so um most learning happens on the job and if you've got a manager who's creating an environment where they're supporting learning and enabling learning and enabling people to grow and learn and reflect they get all of those benefits so this is a this kind of like a powerful one for you to think about don't outsource it to the the learning and development department yeah and I think I was thinking about this and I think this is I've worked for some managers who have been very good at this and I think it's the difference between a mindset of where you think learning is a luxury versus learning is essential and part of somebody's job. And it's almost the people who've been brilliant, they get that actually learning is needs needs to be part of your job. It's not something that's the bottom of your to-do list and it's not something that's like um, a benefit for doing well or, oh, they get to spend a bit of time doing something different or spend, spend some time learning. It's like, actually, we know that by creating a culture where learning is considered essential it is just it is just part of you doing your job suddenly that kind of sets a very different precedent so the first thing that they can managers can do then is to develop team curiosity um, and I think you can do this really well by learning together so for example you could have a book that a couple of you are reading and maybe you're trying things out um, from the book as a team things that I've done before are you can look at something like Skillshare and pick a course as a team mm-hmm. and watch that maybe like one they normally do yeah, like nice. 10 minute videos and you could do like one a week and have that in a team meeting or maybe like share conferences that's another thing that I've done where like one or two people from the team will go to a conference and then they come back and present the findings to the team so they all benefit from it so I think that's a that's a really nice way that you can embed learning and make it sort of sort of making sure that it's shared amongst the team the second thing I think can be really powerful um, to do is to bring in some external perspectives and thoughts. This is also a really good way of developing your network. So it's sort of two birds with one stone. I think it's can be quite easy to uh, become a bit internal in our companies. And so if you can be the person that um, gets other people, and it might be from other departments sometimes actually, um, other departments in the business to come and share what's yeah. going on or what their priorities are, or it could be people from, you know, if you're in marketing, people from, um, you know, agencies that you work with, or it could be people who just do your job in different companies. And maybe you do a bit of a knowledge exchange, but that is also a powerful way. And I think the last thing that I would say here is whatever learning you create, so let's say it's the the Skillshare thing, maybe try and give it a brand um, that you can, that the team knows that it's, that if the, when that's in the diary, it's like the learning moment of the week, or it's the monthly knowledge share or something like that give it I mean they're not very good brand names but I'm kind of just saying them as I go but give it some kind of like nice name that then people identify with do you know what I used to have if it's helpful I used to have something every week that was called inspire learn do 
and it was one thing that's really inspired us, one thing we've learned and one thing that we've done. And that, that worked really well. It, it was really simple. So there you go. That's when you can kind of steal, steal, steal that if you steal want. kindly that one. So that's just a couple of ways. And then um, there's a resource that we will share as well, which is about how to build a learning culture from businesses that have done it. Um, it's a really good Ooh, article. Interesting. Yeah, it features, um, got a little bit of Microsoft in there, but lots of other different businesses as well and how they've built um, learning culture. So you can get some different examples from that article. And so we said at the start that we would share very briefly the mm. ones that we felt most confident in and where we both wanted to improve I think listening to you then the learning one is definitely the one I feel most confident in I I I think because I have lots of kind of natural skills talents and strengths in this area I I bring this to every team that I lead uh, every business that I'm part of I can give like now if I if you were doing my review I could give you lots of tangible examples of how I've been very growth mindset bringing in kind of different people into the business so that would be my okay yeah that's my number one growth mindset manager I'm all about learning I felt confident in that the one that you, we talked about that I was going I've I've got to kind of be braver is definitely on feedback I think I I sort of say it and I believe it and I've done so I've taken some good actions to sort of try to embed it in the in the kind of creative agency that I work in but I think I could do more to role model this day in day out Um, I think I probably do 50% of it but I don't do the 50% that's the hardest <laughs> um, I was thinking, oh gosh, am I going to say the same thing as you? Um, feedback is definitely the same. Same. That's one that I could build. Okay. It is hard for the, all the reasons we talked about. I think probably the one that I do um, most effective at the moment is psychological safety with teams. So creating teams where they can um, save spaces for teams where they can, um, you know, they know that they can trust me, I trust them, and that I, you know, encourage them to try and fail and learn and share and all that kind of stuff I would think I would hope that the teams that have worked for me would say that I can do that for them oh that's um one of the tougher ones I think that's um that's really good so this week it's been uh, quite an intensive episode this week uh, slightly longer than our usual episodes and um, we did debate whether we did this in four parts or one part and we decided to <laughs> we go for kind of a one hit wonder one. <laughs> um, so you can you can let us know whether we kind of made the right right call on that or not and of course we can always talk more about them um, if that's something you'd like us to um, like us to explore uh, all the resources and this week particularly uh, a bit of a resource extravaganza will be on our website you can follow us at amazing if on instagram or uh, on twitter at amazing underscore if um, or you can email us by getting in get in touch at amazing we love hearing ideas for future podcasts um, and actually next week when we're going to be talking about presence and gravitas that was actually a suggestion from one of our listeners so um we've had a few suggestions in that kind of space so we thought let's uh, try and tackle that next week and finally um we've say it every week but we do really love your reviews um it might be on your list where you always think oh yeah I must make sure I spend the time to do that please do because we read every one we find them really helpful really inspiring um, and the more you guys reviewers and sharers um, you know the more we get up the podcast chart so it means that we keep doing them every week um, and actually I will say today a particular shout out to Helen who has got an incredibly bad cough that I suspect you won't hear very much <laughs> of on today's podcast because um, the lovely guys that we work with with our podcast um, do, do a very good job of kind of editing things like us coughing or one of our babies starting to cry but um, Helen has been an absolute hero today so well done to Helen um, and we look forward to speaking to you all again next week hopefully without any coughs bye for now bye
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 